Well, now on to the barfy stuff, right? <laughs> uh, so this morning's message is actually called The Point of No Return. If that doesn't sound intimidating, I don't know what does, okay? Uh, but when you think of the point of no return, what comes to mind? Phantom of the Opera. That's terrifying. Uh, what else comes to mind when you think of point of no return? Back to the future. Back to the future. Yes. Okay. What else? Anything else? Yes, absolutely. Uh, what did you say? We're the sidewalk ends. There's no returning. <laughs> uh, the point of no return for me sometimes, I think, is like when you're binge watching Netflix um, and that little timer in the corner, <laughs> it starts ticking down and it gets to about 10 seconds and I'm like, eh, I guess I'm watching another episode. <laughs> you know, point of no return. We did the math this week and I have watched over 400 hours of Law & Order SVU. Mercy, pray for your pastor, okay? <laughs> uh, another thing that I think of in point of no return is like when I go to a buffet, you know, and you get to a place where you have to unbutton your pants a little bit. You're like, there's no going back. And it's like that old commercial, you know, I can't believe I ate the whole thing, you know, <laughs> point of no return. Uh, we also have points of no returns in signing contracts, and then we regret that we cannot return them. Uh, point of no returns, as, uh, or no returns, as Nick said, it is this point at which, and it originates in flight, in flying, where the pilot knows that once they take off and they reach a certain point in their flight, that they do not have enough fuel to return to where they came from. And so they have no other option but to press onward. Now this is particularly helpful when you're flying over, say, a body of water. <laughs> and you know that there is no way for you to have enough fuel to return back. Now, I would argue that there are a lot of points of no return in our lives. Or we realize that enough has been spent and enough has been done that we cannot go back to the beginning. I think of this in terms of romance. Uh, I think of marriage. There is a point of no return. I think of this in terms of divorce and signing those papers where you say there is a point where we are not returning where we once were. I think of this as in the words that we choose to say. It's kind of like a can of biscuits, you know? Once it's open, it ain't going back in, right? There's a point of no return. Uh, this happens when we purchase houses. I remember purchasing my first car, and there were these pieces of paper, long as my arm, with carbon copies, and I signed them, and all of a sudden, this car was my responsibility. And then, like, a month later, I got charged taxes for it, and I found out, there's no returning said car, okay? <laughs> there is a point of no return all over our lives, uh, where we get to a place where we can't go back. There's actually a Bible character who had this situation, where he reached a point of no return, and his name was Esau. Can you say that with me? Esau. Now say it with like a southern draw. Esau. <laughs> Esau. Um, and Esau, he is a pretty popular figure. He was in the Old Testament, but he also made the cut and was in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. 
<laughs> that was really weak, guys. I hope you're ready for the next time. Uh, who traded his birthright for the firstborn, or, uh, as the firstborn son for a single meal. I love this in the message version. It says, watch out for the Esau syndrome. Syndrome. Ta- trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late. And this is where it gets tough. Tears or no tears. Now Esau in Hebrew actually means hairy. And not like when Harry met Sally, sort of Harry, um, like fuzzy, okay? And if you want to talk about point of no return, uh, <laughs> it is in baby names, okay? <laughs> and this is why we plan out ahead of time what we're going to name our kids, you know, because if we just plan, if we just name them our gut instinct when it happened, you know, half of the population would be named Pain, and the other half would be, your father did this to me. You know, <laughs> like, like that's not just going to work out. But so Esau is born, and, and Rebecca and Isaac, they see him, and they say, Chewbacca, welcome to the world, essentially. You know, hello, Harry. And, and moments after that, uh, his brother, who is a twin, comes out as well. Now, Esau is a pretty popular dude because he is the grandson of Abraham. We all know Abraham, father of faith, right? And, and Abraham is given incredible promises in his life. Uh, Abraham actually meets with the Lord, and while Abraham is really old, okay, like Dale old, okay? Um, while he is really old, Abraham, I'm so sorry, kind of. Um, while Abraham is real old, oh, mercy, uh, God says to Abraham, you're going to have descendants, meaning you're going to have a baby boy. And he tells Abraham this when he's already old, but he doesn't fulfill it just then. Uh, Romans, it says that he waits until his body is as good as dead. You're not going to see that on many dating profiles. You know, <laughs> that's not a compliment. Hi, my name is Tim. I play soccer. I'm in banking, and my body's as good as dead. Swipe right for a good time. You know, like, that's not going to happen. And so he waits until Abraham is as good as dead. And then Sarah gets pregnant. And this is exciting stuff, right? And so they're like, you know, geriatric patients having children, and they have a man named Isaac. And Isaac is the start of the Israel nation. <laughs> I'm going to lose it because <laughs> my two really good friends are over here. And they're going to pee their pants pretty soon. Uh, but, but he is the start of the nation of Israel. Like all of God's anointed people, they come from Isaac. And so Isaac and Rebekah, they have twin boys, Jacob and Chewbacca. And, and, and when this happens, uh, Sarah gives birth, or Rebecca gives birth to these two twin boys, and the first one comes out, which is Esau, and the second one comes out, with his, which is Jacob. And Jacob in Hebrew means the holder of heels. So there was like a really weird um, monkey in a barrel situation at the labor and delivery room that day, and, and Jacob is actually holding the heel of Esau. And so they just kind of come out together, and moments before Jacob comes out of the womb, Esau does. 
Now this may not seem significant to us by any means. Uh, in fact, for some of us, this is probably like a horror show, right, honestly. Um, but, but this probably doesn't seem significant to us, but because Esau came first, he was given the birthright. Now, I, I was never given a birthright, so I, you know, and I assume that none of you guys have one lying around, but if you do, you understand what this is more than I do. But a birthright would be that, that Esau would inherit the promise that God had for Israel, meaning that Esau would get a double portion of inheritance, meaning that Esau would be a really fuzzy priest of, of his people, meaning that Esau would inherit all of these plans and his kids and his kids' kids and his kids' 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 kids', kids, kids, kids all of them would be a part of this plan of God. And this was, this was amazing. You know, they had Sarah and Abraham, they had no idea this would happen. Isaac and Rebecca, they're looking, they say, we got a two-first situation. We got two boys. And they go in to make the nation of Israel. And a lot is at stake in this moment. To be born first was a big deal. Um, to put it into perspective, years later, when God shows up to Moses, he says, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, but he doesn't say, I am the God of Esau. In fact, the only way that Esau would be able to not have this birthright was for him to give it away freely. Give it away freely. And you'd say, well, what did he get, you know? What did, what did he give it away for? And I will tell you, a bowl of soup. I don't care what kind of soup that was. <laughs> like, I don't think I'd even get out of bed for a bowl of soup, let alone <laughs> trade my birthright. And you can read it. You can fact check me. It's in Genesis 25. Jacob gets God's plans and Esau gets soup. So, so imagine this with me. Uh, Jacob is like the stereotypical younger brother. You know, he's like the creative type. You know, he's probably a little scrawnier. You know, he came out second. He, he only came out because he's holding on to his brother's heel. Um, all those things happen. And so he's sitting at home and he's cooking. Jacob is the kind of guy that probably has a Pinterest board. Let's just be real, okay? Um, that's who Jacob is. And he's sitting at home and he's cooking his soup. And Esau comes back from a day of hunting, a long day of hunting of which he has been unsuccessful in. And he comes in and he says, Jacob, give me some of that soup. Actually, the Hebrew translation is, I want to swallow that. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is Esau, okay? I don't know if you've ever been there like super hungry, get that in my belly, you know? He says, I want to swallow that. And, and Jacob is like, no, and they're brothers, so I imagine that Esau's like looking over his shoulders, and Jacob's like, get away. And he finally says, he says, okay, 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 you can have some soup, but I get your birthright. And Esau is like, okay, well, you're telling me you get everything that God has planned for me, you get all the money, all the inheritance, all the leadership, everything, and I get to swallow that. And Jacob says, sign on the dotted line. And in that moment, Esau despises his birthright and eats the soup. And Jacob gets his birthright. Imagine what that would have felt like to be in the room that day. 
And for centuries to come, this is what the story and the lineage of Esau's people were. Now, I have soup right here this morning. I thought this was a nice, like, multitasking moment for me. Uh, I got to cook lunch for my house and also have a sermon illustration, which is pretty good. Um, They said, scholars say that Jacob's soup that he was cooking that day was most likely lentil soup. Ew, okay? Um, This is at least chicken tortilla, okay? Uh, uh, Lentil soup was cooking that day. And I just, I can't even imagine this, choosing this, all that God has for you, lentil soup. That'd be a no-brainer for me. And we could talk today, we could spend our whole time together talking about how stupid Esau was. We could talk about how dumb it was and how incredibly stupid it was that he gave up his birthright for soup. And then we could even spend time talking about how we are not to be dumb and how we choose to be smarter, unlike Esau. But what I think would be a more profitable use of our time is for us to admit that every single one of us has the capability to trade in minutes what we will regret for decades. That every single one of us has the power to trade in in seconds we will regret for decades. Every single one of us, that we will trade in in seconds. And it would be more profitable for us to talk about how the enemy has a, in a kitchen somewhere has a bowl of soup with your name on it, simmering to perfection that will be served up to you with culinary perfection at just the right time. It will come to you when you feel at your lowest, when you feel unloved or unwanted. It will come to you when your needs haven't been met, when you are worn out and stressed out, when you are anxious. And in that moment, when the steam hits your nostrils, It will feel as though your entire happiness hangs on this bowl of soup. And I have preached this entire message to tell you that in that moment, when the the steam hits your nostrils, some promises in a dusty old book that a 28-year-old tattooed preacher yells at you about every week will seem so undesirable so opaque, so distant. And I have told you all of this to say this, you don't want what's in the devil's crockpot. You don't want what's in the devil's crockpot. And you don't want what is here, no matter how accessible, no matter how great it smells, no matter how quickly it would fulfill your appetites, you don't want it. And you'd say, well, how does this apply to barfy, beautiful, biblical romance. And the first way it applies is this, is that your desires can keep you from your destiny. Your desires can keep you from your destiny. Esau saw this desire for food, but appetite is appetite. And in the scripture, it talks about how we can become in a place where our God is our belly, where anything that elicits a visceral response 
is good and will do it. And, and this is the same thing with sex. Uh, we talked about this last week. It's okay to have a sex drive. Uh, last week I talked about how it's kind of like an ice machine on a refrigerator, you know, just one of the perks, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it just it happens. It's okay to have a sex drive. What's not okay is for sex to drive you. It's for it to be this one thing that you focus on and make all of your decisions because of. Because it can keep you from enjoying something that you want long-term and settling for the temporary and settling for right in front of you. And this can happen very quickly. In the time that it takes to swipe on your phone, in the time it takes to steam up the windows of a parked car, or rustle the, the sheets at a hotel or a bedroom. You can give up in minutes what you will regret for decades. And we are all capable of this. And, and the enemy, like, he has simmering for you these situations. He doesn't want you to enjoy God's plans for you. He would love for your kids to grow up in a household that is wrecked by divorce and confusion, turmoil, and lies. He would love to not just get to you, but to your spouse. And what better of a way than getting to the person that they sleep with every single night? He wants to destroy them. And Martin Luther, he talks about this. He says, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Listen, there will always be soup out there. There will always be desires that entice you and, at, and say that they are going to meet your immediate needs. But you have the, the choice and the decision on if they will make a nest in your life. Second thing, and this one's a little more funner. It's okay. When your stomach is empty, your standards get lower. <laughs> uh, when your stomach is empty, your standards get lower. Have you guys ever gone grocery shopping when you're hungry? That is the dumbest decision, okay? So dumb. I, I get home and I have stuff, crap that I would never buy. You know, I have like frosted animal crackers because I'm 12. Um, I, <laughs> I have like little Debbies and, and suddenly I decide that I'm going to bake a bunch of cakes and I have cake mixes in the pantry I've never used. You know, I get all sorts of things because I am starving. And for some reason, and I don't get it, but things that are unnaturally colored like, when I get hungry enough, I'm like, only food that I can satisfy. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it happens. And, and so, and this happens to all of us, right? You know, there was this one time that uh, Valerie and I started working out, and we went to the gym, and we were hungry and tired and sweaty. And I was like, not only do I want all this food, I just earned all this food, right? <laughs> so just, like, dump it in, right? <laughs> and this is what happens. When, when our stomachs are empty our standards get lower. Actually, a couple weeks ago, and this is something that I'm not proud of, I'm just going to say right now, um, I have a tendency to stack my days really, really tight, like not have any time between appointments. And that doesn't work because sometimes I have to eat. And so I had all these appointments, and I was like, oh crud, I have five minutes before I have to jump on this video chat with the district of, that we are involved in, so my boss. And I was like, I'll run home, I'll get some food, and I'll come back. Well, we hadn't gone grocery shopping for like two weeks, okay? I get in there, and I find this weird cheddar cheese in the back of our fridge. 
And I said, I smelled it. it smelled fine. It's cheese. It's fine. Get it out. Get to find some crusty bread in the bottom of the bread box. I make a grilled cheese sandwich. Come back. And I'm sitting <laughs> in this video chat with my boss. And I start eating this grilled cheese sandwich. And I go, oh no. This cheese is sour. And I'm not proud of what happened next, guys. I was like, I'm starving. I don't have any other time to get any other food. What am I going to do? And I kept eating it. I, kept, I paid for that later. I paid for that later. Uh, but when your stomach gets empty, your standards get lower. Think about this. If Jacob had done this at the breakfast table, you know, while they're both shoveling Cheerios into their mouths, and Jacob's like, hey, Esau, I'll give you more Cheerios if you give me your birthright. They're brothers. You know, Esau would have just like given him a wedgie and said, as if. No, that's not going to happen. But he waited until the perfect moment. Until he had been out, you know, like wrestling bears with his furry hands and failed at getting any sort of kill. He waited until he was most discouraged. And just like that, this bowl of soup, these things in your life that are waiting for you, they will sit like comfort food, only comfort's in. And they will say, I can get you through this. I can cheer you up. And I don't know what that is for you, but, but when we do not have a full stomach, this looks really good. And I'm smelling it, so like, it smells really good too. And so we have to keep our stomachs full. Second Peter verse 1 or chapter 1, starting in verse 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will not fall. It says, diligently live in the identity that God has given you. Diligently. Meaning you can't just show up at church and it's going to happen. I can only tell you so often and so many times that you are a child of God. What the changer is, is when I diligently believe that truth. Psalm 119, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, when your stomach is full of truth, your standards will not get lower. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, he used God's word to overcome it. And for some reason, we think that we're somehow different you have to start your day hiding God's word in your heart so that when things come up, you know exactly how to deal with them. The other way that we do this is by serving the Lord. John 4, verse 34, it says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Idle hands are what? The devil's workshop. And there's a reason that God has placed a calling and a purpose in your life. Because when, when his word is hidden in my heart and my hands are busy doing his work, it builds a powerful confidence that says, I am a child of God. I am, the or I am made by the maker of the ends of the earth. I am an adopted son and da or daughter of the king. I am a child of the Most High King. I have been called out of darkness to proclaim freedom to the captive. Listen, I dare you to wake up every single morning 
knowing and believing and looking in the mirror and trusting that you are a child of God. I dare you. And because when that happens and things come up, single folks, when that, that guy sends you the text that says, send me those scandalous pictures, you're going to be like, as if I am a child of the Most High God. I am a princess. I am a daughter of the king. And you better put a ring on it. Amen. Right? You know, when you are scrolling through Facebook and you get that FOMO disease, uh, feelings of missing out disease, and you look at it, and you say, all these people are doing all these things, and I'm not doing any of them. Let me tell you what. And you say, I'm missing out on something. God's going to say, you're darn right you're missing out on something. You're missing out on shame and regret. You're missing out on divorce and guilt. You're missing out on destroying your wife or your husband. You are missing out on so much destruction that I have never planned for you to experience. Yeah, you're missing out. And those things, they will well up inside you when your stomach is full and you know who you are. That soup looks way less intense. John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. One final thing. And this one rhymes, so I think it's pretty good. Uh, in all you do, think follow through. Go ahead, say that to your neighbor. In all you do, think follow through. See, what would have happened if Esau would have just stepped back from the table? Stepped back and made an honest assessment. Stepped back and said, what do I want the meta-narrative of my life to be? What are the stories that I want to tell my grandkids around the dinner table? See, in, in that light, soup is just soup. Temptation is just temptation. Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Other translations say, teach us to number our days. Lord, teach us to see past the immediate. Teach us to see the bigger picture of my life. Teach us to see the brevity of my life. Levi Lusco, he puts it this way. He says, now yells louder, but later lasts longer. Listen, your immediate needs they will always yell louder. They will always demand your attention. They will persuade you into thinking that it doesn't matter as much as you think it does. They will persuade you into thinking, you know, that one bad night won't hurt our marriage. That one text that I sent, that one comment that I made, that one thing that I said, that one picture I clicked on, those are not that big of a deal. Listen, these are lies. We have the power to make decisions in moments that we will regret for decades. It's called willpower. I don't know who Will is, and I don't know why we care about his freedom, but we have free will. We have free will to say yes and to say no. We have free will to say, I'm going to take the soup. I'm going to take the immediate thing that I want the most and give up all the plans that God has for me.
And the joy and the hope and the beauty of this morning is that to the same extent that you have the power to ruin your life, you have the power to transform it. You have the power to choose Jesus. And I think Esau, he fell for a lie that we fall for all the time. And it's this lie that our lives with Christ are comprised of categories. And there's two big ones. One of things that God cares about and one of things that he doesn't touch. There is no such category. Listen, there is no room in the house of your life that God is not begging for access for. He says, I want to be all in it, all through it, from here to eternity. And so what would it take for us to be a people that rise to what God is asking us to do? What would it take for us to be a people that see the bigger picture and say, I will not take the immediate. I will not take the temporary. For my God is a God of long stories. Would you pray with me? Father God, I think that this story could hit us at a multitude of places. Lord, it could make us realize that that we need to still care about our relationship with our spouse. Lord, that we need to still keep that fire and that love alive. Lord, that you, do not, you did not stop two years in, three years in, 30 years in. Lord, but that you still care for us and that you still have plans for us. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see those plans. God, that you would give us the courage, God, to step up, to stand up for our marriage. Lord, for the folks in this room that, that, that don't have a spouse, God, I pray for them diligently, Lord, that, that you would open our eyes to the bigger picture. Lord, that every time that we're scrolling through social media, Lord, that we're comparing our lives to somebody else. God, that the, the words that you say that are hidden in our hearts, Lord, that they would pierce through those moments. Lord, your word still says, for I know the plans that I have for you. Lord, your word still says, that you see us through the harshest of times. Lord, that you are our anchor in the midst of a storm. Christ, I pray that, that hope would secure us. Lord, and that love would propel us to be the men and women that you have called us to be. Jesus, we love you. It's in your precious name.